Als een goeiemorgen kerkfamilie, baie welkom in elke en um, net een belangrike ding van my kant af, ek wil net by Jack aansluit, ons saak ontbuit is hierdie donderdagochtend, so vanaf half 7 tot kwart voor 8 sal ons klaarmaak, en daar is net iets wat jy moet doen om te kwalificeren, as jy self ach as een sake persoon, um, as jy welkom in saak ontbuit mee te maak, en tendeel, ek sal het baie sterk aanbeveel, maar hy en gedachte of hy en gedachte, dat daar registraties vir saak ontbuit, al is het gratis, sluit dit, so het in morgen ochtend 9 uurse kant, want ons moet getallen deurgeven vleisrui, so as jy belangstel, maak asjeblief seker jy registreer. Nou, um, twee belangrike verwelkomings vir oogend. Eerste baie belangrike verwelkoming kerkfamilie is, help my asjeblief om welkom te sê vir ons aanleiding gehoor. Baie welkom vir ons aanleiding gehoor, dankie. And then my second big welcome is for Mads Deisel. Mads, if you don't mind joining me on stage. Um, our focus for this weekend in terms of our um, liefdes reeks is marriages, and uh, Mads will be ministering on marriages both in the morning and evening service, but this evening will be in a different line. So um, I can <clears throat> recommend to you uh, that if you do enjoy this morning's message, there's a different message or different line of ministry this evening. You're welcome, of course, to come join us in the evening service as well. Uh, Mads Deisel, um, she has been in, around our church circles for a long time, churches that we relate to, um, and her background really is both in theology and counseling, but in the last few years, she's really been focusing much more on training counselors for churches, and um, for where she's been before in Durban, uh, she's actually managed to to uh, to, rec- to to build and to establish entire uh, counseling network uh, for a particular ministry. So we are privileged to have Madge here this morning, and uh, we're going to pray for, uh, with her and for her, and then open our hearts to receive what the Lord has given her for us this morning. If you're comfortable, please extend your hands to Mads and let's bless her this morning. Father, thank you for Mads. Thank you for the gift that she is to the body of Christ. And this morning, we open our hearts to receive from you through her what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vanna. Uh, thank you also for the grace of allowing me to speak in English and not Afrikaans. Uh, it's not uh, something I do very well. In fact, actually, when we were driving up here, um, my boys were asking, what's the name of the pastor of the church? So I said his name is Um Verna. So they were practicing his name, and my eldest, Josh, said, Um Veranda. So, <laughs> so yeah, so uh, Afrikaans is not our strength, but I'm incredibly uh, grateful and privileged to be sharing tonight, uh, this morning on how do we safeguard unity in marriage. I was listening to a podcast this week and I heard a really funny um, analogy uh, about marriage and it said this, you know, marriage and puppies have a lot in common because everyone falls in love with the front end of a puppy. It's the back end that most don't want to deal with. Now, as a counselor, I often find myself hearing the stories of the back ends of marriage. Um, And we openly generally speak about wedding days and the milestones, and these are the conversations we love to celebrate and speak out loud. But it's generally the the kind of tough stuff about marriage that we want to kind of hide or not deal with. And so I'm very aware that even in this room, there's a broad spectrum of people that I'm going to be speaking to. Uh, And and on the one sense, there are some of you that maybe are newlyweds and you're still in the honeymoon phase of marriage, and that's awesome. 
But there might be others here that are really skeptical about marriage, that nothing's going to change. Or maybe you've already left a marriage, or maybe you're kind of still yearning to find that one in your life that you're gonna uh, commit to. But my invitation to you all today, regardless of where you are, is to glean wisdom. And from a counseling perspective, um, my heart is to give practical tools and insights to the kind of foundations that we can build on. And so whether you're still single, these foundations still apply to you. Someone once said, even if you're in a place of singleness, work at becoming the best version of yourself for marriage. And so these tools that I wanna give you will hopefully help you on that journey. I'm also aware that there might be a small percentage of you that are in abusive relationships. And sometimes we feel that, you know, we have to take these tools and go, well, that's it, I have to stay in this space forever. And if you are in a place of struggle where there is abuse, my encouragement for you is to get professional help. So I wanna start off by reading a scripture, Matthew 19 verse six says this. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So how do we safeguard unity? How do we safeguard oneness? And this is the question that I hope to answer this morning. Uh, and, and I guess the, we need to consider, well, what breaks down unity in relationships in marriage? And you know, the top two reasons for divorce, uh, it kind of comes in at 70%, is poor communication and lack of commitment. So, how do we communicate, um, in a sense, a mindset that shows commitment, and in a sense, this orientates around choice? And I wanna start off by just laying a foundation around the mindset of commitment. 1 Corinthians 13 verse seven says this, when speaking about love, love always protects it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. You see, to protect, trust, hope, and persevere, the first thing we need to be aware of, are these are not emotions. We don't always feel these things. In a sense, it's actually a posture, it's a mindset, it's a decision, it's a choice. I found a great quote that most accurately, I believe, describes commitment. Commitment means making a choice to give up other choices. But we live in a culture where the mindset towards marriage and commitment is sadly rapidly changing. And I hear this so often in the counseling room. You see, we have a FOMO culture, and FOMO, if you don't know what FOMO stands for, it means fear of missing out. We live in a FOMO culture that is a fear of missing out, a culture that is driven by instant gratification, quick fixes. It's driven by a need to replace or discard, to find a newer model, to swipe left or right, whatever, I can't remember how it works on the apps. But there's a need for compatibility, or, and all of this is driven by a mindset of self-centeredness or entitlement, because I'm waiting for perfect, but I'm fearful at the same time and skeptical, and I'm afraid of getting hurt, so I'm non-committed and maybe I do until divorce us to part. The reality is, commitment is not about safeguarding the unity of marriage anymore. It's about safeguarding one's exit when it gets too hard or if something better comes along. 
This is commitment to self. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 says this, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, we live in a world of weather watchers where we're waiting for conditions to be perfect before we commit to anything. The reality is the conditions aren't ever always perfect. And I know personally people that are still in their 40s and even 50s waiting for perfect to come. What we're needing more of and this is what my heart and passion is, is, is to fight for this kind of character trait. Is we, what we're needing more of is grit, perseverance, endurance, courage, a heart to protect, other-centeredness, resilience, determination, perseveration, cherishing, honoring, dependability, hopefulness, teachableness, commitment, with a solid I do until death us do part. We need warriors who will rise up and stand for unity in marriage. So how do we safeguard unity in marriage, specifically when it comes to communication? Now I've underpinned this so far with the idea of what solid commitment looks like, but what is good communication? How many of you believe you're good at listening and communicating? No one? <laughs> how many of you believe you're good at it? Okay, how many of you think um, your spouse is good at communicating or listening? We know the answer to that one. You need to listen to this, honey. Um, you see, he has a great quote about listening and communication. Most people listen to understand. Sorry, most people don't listen to understand. They only listen to reply. How many of you have found that in communicating when you're having a backwards and forwards conversation and, and instead of them understanding, they just want to get in their answer as quickly as possible? But I found this beautiful quote by an author called David Orsberger. He wrote a book called Caring Enough to Hear and Be Heard. And he says this, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, it's almost indistinguishable. Now, as a counselor, I do a lot of training in listening and communicating because that's what the skill of counseling actually is all about. And I wanted to speak around just some kind of foundations around why sometimes listening and, and, and communicating is really hard to do. I'm sure all of you remember as kids playing the game Broken Down Telephone. And when you look at, at the whole art of communication and we break it down into stages, there's what I want to say, there's how I end up saying it, then how is it heard? How is it understood? What do they want to say back? And what do they actually end up saying? And we know when we study communication that at any one of those points, things can become horribly wrong in terms of distorted and broken. Also, we know that communication is not just about the words we use. Instead, communication is only 7% words. The rest is 38% tone and 55% body language. When you're communicating, is it filled with maybe contempt or criticism or correction or complaining? Is it condescending, controlling, comparing or competing? Or is it filled with care, concern, courage, consideration, compassion, confidence and commitment? depending on the tone that we put into what we say as to the response we get. Another fascinating thing I found about communication and listening is that there's vertical and horizontal listening. So women generally listen from a horizontal perspective. 
Is there connection or disconnection? Is it safe or unsafe? Am I heard or unheard? We see there's a strong relational component to how we listen. Men generally tend to listen vertically. Is it right or wrong? Am I a winner or a loser? Is it good or is it bad? It's a strong performance component to listening. And so it's interesting to understand these dynamics because we can be talking about the same things but coming at it from a very different perspective. Added to that, we often listen according to the story we're telling ourselves. What is the story you're telling yourself about your spouse? Is it truth? Is it fueling unity or division? Is it, is it kind of thinking the worst or considering the best? Are we choosing to believe the best in our spouse? Is, how, is the story I'm telling myself that my spouse is, 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 is against me or for me? Is it attacking, skeptical, giving up? Or is the story I'm telling myself that I always wanna lean into protecting, trusting, hoping, and persevering? You see, the reality of our thoughts, if the story I'm telling myself about my spouse is negative, then the mind, this is the fascinating thing about the mind, the mind has the ability to gather any evidence to back up the story it's already telling myself. So if the story I'm telling myself about my spouse is that they don't care, they don't really wanna help, they don't, they don't really, uh, you know, they're not really for me, and I see socks lying on the ground, I'm gonna go, you see, you see, that's, what, that's why my husband doesn't care, that's why my, my wife doesn't care, because they don't worry about what's important to me. Understanding the stories we tell ourselves is so important because it will impact our response to our spouses. As you can see, communication and listening is complex. But one of the biggest barriers that um, blocks effective communication is our own inner emotional triggers. You see, when it comes to communications, there's what I call two levels of communications. There's the above the surface conversation that is topical, whether it's about kids or finances or household chores. There's you know, just facts that we have about everyday life. There's ideas and thoughts. These are the things that we have in terms of above the surface communication. But then there's the below the surface stuff. It's our fears, our worries, our hurts, our insecurities, our values, uh, our incompatibilities, our unmet expectations, our injustices, our own stubbornnesses, our drive to be right. And these things live under the surface, kind of like landmines in a desert. And you can be having a conversation about anything, and as you go along and in the conversation, suddenly you step on something and you hear click. And the atmosphere changes, and suddenly you realize that you've detonated something inside someone. Now, I'm going to give you a little case study. I've just made this up. So if you um, relate to the story, it's not directly at you, but I always find from a counseling perspective when I do training that case studies help bring the points across. So let's pretend we have a husband named Bob and his wife is Sue. And Bob has booked a holiday spot down the south coast because he wants to go fishing and he thought um, that she would you know, like to lie on the beach and work on her tan because she always communicates how she wants to work on her tan. So this is a typical above the surface conversation. But a whole lot of stuff is going on beneath the surface. And as he tells her that he's booked this holiday, she snaps. We always go where you want to go. 
and he snaps back because he's now hurt. Nothing I do is ever good enough for you. Now, the biggest mistake that we see happening when this type of detonation goes on is that we try and fix the below the surface trigger through the above the surface topic. So we start to argue about the holiday destination, but the trigger in a sense has got nothing to do with that. You see, when we don't take time to understand why there's a trigger and where it came from, we will spend all our energy in trying to win this debate or win this tension or conflict through the above the surface topic and it never helps. The second mistake we make is that we try and take a win-lose approach to the conflict. I'm right, you're wrong. I often, when I'm counseling couples, draw the number six on a piece of paper and I put it between them. And I say, right, what number do you see? And one will say a six. And I'll say, what number do you see? And they go, ah, nine. And then I'll ask the question, who's right? You see, when we take a win-lose approach, then it becomes a power struggle. Because in a sense, it's about perspective. And most couples don't take the time to consider another person's perspective. What are they seeing in relation to what's going on? Mark 3 verse 25 says this, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Proverbs 12 verse 15 says, the way of the foolish is right in their own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So this is showing the importance of having a teachable heart. The third mistake we make is that we often don't even know what, be, what is being triggered inside of us ourselves. We have lack of self-awareness. I used an analogy when you have a 10 rand trigger, but it causes a thousand rand response then there's a cumulative emotional pain. And what I mean by that is, if you and your spouse suddenly are having a conversation and a trigger goes off and the reaction is bigger than the trigger, then there's past hurts or pain that's attached to that explosion in the moment. So here's a little bit of Sue and Bob's backstory. You see, what Bob doesn't know is that Sue has always felt unimportant. She's the youngest of three sisters. And they always chose everything they did, and what she wanted to do was never considered. And what Sue doesn't know is that Bob always felt not good enough, because when he was younger, nothing he ever tried to do pleased his dad, resulting in a feeling of constantly being a failure. So in that moment, where Sue heard her husband had booked a holiday for them, she didn't see an act of kindness. She experienced the same feeling of, I'm always not considered just like I felt when I was younger. And when Bob heard her complain, he just heard, nothing I do is ever good enough. Can you hear the beneath the surface triggers going on? So this is why self-awareness is so important. If we don't know what our own triggers are, they're gonna explode and we're gonna find ourselves stuck in the above the surface conversation. The fourth mistake that I see happening often in communication is that we don't know what to do with our partner when they are triggered. You see, what ends up happening when we experience a beneath the surface trigger with that pain is we feel the pain of a wound. Now, I want you to imagine that, let's say, as you walked into this room, you tripped, you fell, and maybe you dislocated your shoulder. Sorry, what's your name up front here? Luan. 
Ruan. Uh, uh, Luan, okay, so let's pretend Luan tripped and fell as he walked in here, he's got a dislocated shoulder. And then I walk up to Luan and I meet him for the first time and I give him a high five slap on his arm. What do you think's gonna happen? He's gonna yelp in pain, you know, he's a good Christian guy, so he probably won't kick me, he might restrain himself a little bit, but the pain is gonna cause a physical reaction. Now, because I can then see his shoulder is in pain, I will have empathy and understanding to his reaction because I understand he's in pain. Now, our hearts are no different. They're wounds and fears and insecurities in our hearts, but we can't see them. All we see is the yelp, the explosion, the triggered response in the moment but because we don't understand the wound, what ends up happening is that yelp, that pain of yelp, can cause hurt. And then when I'm hurt, I get angry, and so I react back. Then when I react back, I cause hurt, which then causes more of a yelp. And so we find ourselves stuck in the pain-anger cycle. You hurt me, so I'll hurt you. The reality is we need to find ways of growing insights and understanding to each other, but growing to understand the wounds and insecurities in each other's hearts so that we have a different approach to how we process our responses. Ephesians 5 verse 28 to 29 says this, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. You see, this text gives us a mindset of what it means to have unity in your marriage. Your spouse is your body. If I break my ankle and now I can't lean on it, it doesn't mean my ankle is rejecting me. And of course, I'm not gonna reject my ankle and go, oh, well, you're useless now. I can't lean on you, so I don't want you anymore. I don't kick it. I don't speak badly to it. I instead have a different approach. I care for it. I, I kind of, you know, use my other foot so that it can take the pressure off of my broken ankle. Why? Because I want my ankle to heal, to come back into the fullness of what it was created to be. Imagine if more people had that mindset to the unity of their marriage that their spouse is their body, and I wanna care for my body so that it grows into the fullness of who it's meant to be. Why? So that we then live to an optimal, optimal performance of who we were created and designed to be. You see, <clears throat> we need to go back to the 1 Corinthians 13 verse 17, because love always protects it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. So I wanna give you a practical tool to help you safeguard the unity of your marriage, to create safe spaces, in a sense, the fertilizer to the soil of your marriage, that when you invest in these tools, it's gonna generate a safe space for your marriage to flourish and grow. James 1 verse 19 says this, Understand, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. This verse gives us three very powerful steps that we can use when it comes to engaging in those beneath the surface conversations. The first step 
is to pause. In other words, be quick to listen. You see, when we're quick to listen, it shows a willingness to really get to the heart of the issue. I always say sometimes we've got to press pause on the above the surface conversation so that we can start to engage in what got triggered beneath the surface. You see, it's pointless to continue to staying above the surface because you're never going to address what's really going on in the heart of yourself or your spouse. It's so easy to just have a knee-jerk reaction and lash out. But we need to practice the art of pausing. Pausing so we can really hear. We've got to pause and listen with our hearts. We need to pause and listen with our spirits. We need to pause and listen with our eyes and our ears to hear maybe what's not being said, but that has been expressed through the explosion. The second step is to reflect. In other words, to be slow to speak. It doesn't necessarily mean remaining silent. We need to reflect and observe and show a posture that wants to understand, that wants to learn, that wants to glean, because unity is the goal. We need to consider and understand why is my spouse or why is my partner triggered right now? And the goal on reflection is understanding. Maybe it'll sound something like this. Hey Sue, I'm very aware that when I told you where we were going for holiday, that it triggered something in you. Talk to me about what got triggered because what happens inside of your heart matters to me. And my heart is to bless you, not to trigger you. Tell me what got triggered in you right now. Or maybe it's, hey, you know, honey, my response to you telling me about the holiday triggered something in me. Because sometimes we want to wait for our partner to do it. But it's also important that we own our own stuff. There's a part of me that just feels like what I desire or what's important to me is not being heard. Or, honey, I noticed that when I reacted to you, you got triggered. Tell me what's going on inside of your heart. What are you feeling? Imagine the difference, the trajectory of marriages would take if we just took time to pause and reflect. The last step is about containing. In other words, it's slow to get angry. You know, when somebody explodes because they hurt physically, we don't lash back. I've never met a, a, a medical doctor that takes it personally when the patient that they're treating kind of gets angry or, or kind of, you know, even swears. They have, they have an understanding that there's pain there. So we need to be emotional containers where we can hold safe spaces for emotion. I always say emotion is like vomit. It's better out than in. But there's a very big difference between vomiting on someone than vomiting in a bucket. And emotion is something that we need to get out, but it's how we do it that's most important. And there's nothing wrong with putting in boundaries when we use our emotion, our negative emotion, to scapegoat somebody else. When we scapegoat, that's what happens. Uh, that, that's you know what we end up doing is we dishonor somebody else because we're taking what we're frustrated with and we put it on somebody else as a means of release. But it's completely dishonoring. There's a story that talks about the employer 
who shouted at his employee and the employee came home and shouted at his wife and then the, the wife shouted at the kids, the kids kicked the dog, the dog bit the cat, the cat chased the mouse and there's a very angry mouse out there. That's scapegoating, it doesn't honor. But we have to take ownership of what's inside of us so we need to be containers, we need to be slow to get angry and control our emotional responses and I know this is not always easy but giving each other grace. And sometimes it might mean doing a retake or we kind of giving each other a yellow card and say, let's do that again. Can we have a do-over? Because I, yeah, emotions can come out. But at the same time, we need to consider what are my own triggers? And what is the truth actually about the situation? So how do we hold on to these spaces with courage? How do we put the mind of Christ into that space? How do we always protect, always hope, always trust, always persevere? How do we right-size the original trigger and put it in its right context? I wanna end by teaching you a tool called what I, what I call validation listening. You see, validation listening is something that I teach everybody across in every platform I possibly can because one of the things that saddens me most about the culture of counseling is that we're paying strangers to listen to us because there are no safe spaces anymore. And imagine if we can create a culture of what I call masks off conversations. And imagine if we can even start that in marriage. And validation listening simply means to first of all, create a space for somebody where they can express their emotion. And all you need to do is listen. When I teach counseling skills, I say, you know, so often we think that when somebody is expressing what's struggling inside of them or they're expressing painful emotion, we have this feeling that we have to fix it. No, you don't. The most powerful thing you can do for someone is just listen. So name the emotion. You see, when you name emotion, you tame it. And we've all got beneath the surface triggers inside of us. We just need safe spaces where we can express that emotion. Because when I can identify what's going on inside of me, I can also better identify what's going on inside of you. And it creates a platform for safety and intimacy and a deeper commitment in a relationship. So the first thing is express your emotion. The second thing is to name what you've heard. So I hear you say you are feeling. Is there more? How many of you would love it if your spouses said to, you, said to you after you've kind of shared what you're feeling, is there more? Because it even creates, it even communicates a message of what's going on inside of you matters to me because you are my body. The last step to this is to validate the emotion you hear. It makes sense to me, Bob, that you feel like you're always failing, given that you felt like you could never be good enough for your dad. But I wanna speak the truth into the situation. Thank you, there's an appreciation for what you did to me. Or maybe Bob would say to Sue, it makes sense to me that you feel like your voice is not important, given that you had older sisters that trumped you all the time and that you weren't able to express what you need. It makes sense to me. You see, when somebody validates your emotion, you experience your value in their eyes. It's the most powerful way of kind of putting cement into the unity of your relationship because what you're saying is I value you as much as I value my own body. You mean everything to me.
When we experience validation, we experience our value. You see, being heard is being loved. So I want you to stand and we're gonna spend some time just in prayer. And I don't know where you are in your relationships and maybe as you've heard me speak, there's a part of you that's going, yes, that's what I desire for my relationship, but I feel like we've kind of, we've kind of grown apart in our journey. There's a lot of hurts, there's a lot of pain between us and we don't know how to find our way back. And maybe the only way that you can find your way back today is just to first of all hold on to that, that, that decision, not emotion, the decision of I'm gonna choose to be committed. I'm leaning in, not leaning away. I'm choosing to protect and safeguard the unity of my marriage because I believe in it. And so maybe you need to cry out to God today for more grit in this time as you face a battle. Or maybe someone here is kind of feeling a sense of they've completely failed. Maybe you've already gone through a divorce and there's the sense of, I've blown it. But we know that we serve a God of redemption, of healing. And so maybe God wants to work in your heart this morning so that you can start to become the best version of yourself for your journey ahead. Or maybe you're a young person and you're skeptical about marriage because you've seen what your parents have been through and you've seen what your, fr your friend's parents and you're like, there's no ways I wanna put myself into that place. And maybe God wants to change your mindset about marriage because the work you do today will bear fruit one day in a relationship. And if you go into a relationship leaning out, I'm telling you now, it won't work. We need to safeguard the unity of marriage by changing a culture, by changing mindsets. So Father, I wanna lift up every person present here. You know their stories, you know their pains, you know their triggers, you know their, their, their hurts, their mindsets. And Father, I pray where everyone's at right now that you will start to speak your truth, that you will start to bring comfort, that you will bring healing. Father, I pray for a new revelation that you are for this, not against us, that you are in it with us, that we can lean on you, our rock, in times of trouble. And so Father, I pray that you will just continue to take these words of truth and sow new life back into hope, new life back into unity, that you'll give people courage to press into you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.